This morning, I'm going to be this guy that you see up on the screen. Yes, that guy with the sign that says the end is near. Now, I may not look quite as mean as that gentleman. I hope that I don't. I probably won't make a face that is that twisted up and and mean looking. But in essence, my sermon is basically this sign. Uh, You know, in a nutshell, my sermon is going to proclaim to you this morning that the end is near. And my text is 2 Peter chapter 3. And I would go ahead, as we get started, I would invite you to grab a Bible, your Bible, go with me to this brief epistle towards the end of your New Testament called 2 Peter, written by the Apostle Peter, chapter 3. My goal is Peter's goal in this letter, this second letter, and also he says it was his goal in the first, and that is to stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder. I want to stir you up, stir me up, stir us up. I want to stoke the embers of your faith this morning. I want to appeal to your sincere mind because I know that you are eagerly and earnestly seeking to do the Lord's will. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here except for maybe some of you kids who didn't want to be here and your parents drug you here. But the rest of us, who are here voluntarily, you're here because you have a sincere mind and you want to do what's right and you love the Lord and you want to fashion your life around His will and His will. And I want to appeal to that today. I want to offer you a reminder. And the reminder is this. The day of the Lord is drawing near. And when I say the day of the Lord, I'm talking about that day that will usher in the end of history. We sometimes call it the judgment day. We sometimes call it the resurrection day. I am here to tell you this morning that Jesus is coming soon. As promised by the prophets and the apostles. Peter mentions that here in verse 2. The prophets and the apostles predicted the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I am here to, to tell you today... That day is on its way soon and very soon. People often wonder and they sometimes ask, are we living in the last days? Are we living in the last days? Is the end drawing nigh? Is it coming soon? And I want to say to that question, absolutely it is. We are living in the last days. In fact, We've been living in the last days since Jesus ascended into heaven with a promise to return. I'm thinking of the Acts account of that event when Jesus goes back up into heaven from where He came and the apostles are there staring up into the heavens watching Him as as He went and an angel appears and says this, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? And I think it's sort of implied there, hey, quit staring up into the sky. You guys have a job to do. You have a mission. So get to work. Why are you standing there looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And Peter himself, who was there on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus ascended, when God sent the Holy Spirit, the Helper, On that miraculous occasion, 
When Peter begins preaching in Acts chapter 2, he quotes the prophet Joel who said, in the last days I will pour, this is God speaking, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter says, that is now being fulfilled in your midst. He says that these are the last days. So truly, we are living in the final era of human history. And Peter says that in the last days, in these days in which we live, scoffers will come. That's what he says in our text, starting at verse 3. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 of 2 Peter 3. He says, knowing this, First of all, I want you to be reminded of this. I want you to know that scoffers, or we might call them mockers, will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is the promise of His coming? For since, ever since, the fathers, probably meaning the patriarchs of the Old Testament, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, ever since they fell asleep, ever since they died, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Scoffers will come. Mockers. People who make fun of you for believing what you believe in. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? The now classic country song, Delta Dawn, is about an aging... Somebody recognized it down here. I heard a gasp. <gasps> I got somebody's attention with Delta Dawn. Is about an aging... Southern Belle, who lives in Brownsville, Tennessee, and her nickname throughout her life has been Delta Dawn. And the song tells us that she thinks that a wealthy suitor whom she met years ago is soon going to come back to town to marry her and to take her away to his big house. And she goes downtown every day with suitcase in her hand, waiting to be picked up by this mysterious, dark-haired man. And the chorus is written in the voice of the people in town who mockingly say, Delta Dawn, what's that flower you have on? Could it be a faded rose from days gone by? And did I hear you say that he was a meeting you here today to take you to his mansion in the sky? Delta Dawn waits and waits and waits expectantly, but everyone around town knows that man's never coming back. Peter says, people are going to mock you for what you believe. They're going to mock you for your faith. And specifically, they're going to make fun of you for believing that Jesus is coming back. And he sort of voices sort of what they will say. Where is the promise of his coming? They will say. Time marches on as it always has from the beginning and it shows no sign of slowing down. The earth continues to spin on its axis. And there is no indication that God is ever going to intervene. These voices, Peter says, are going to come from without. We will hear people make fun of us for what we believe. And specifically, the belief that Jesus is coming back. That he will return. But you know, they can also come, these voices from within. And in our quiet moments of doubt, we can find ourselves asking, is Jesus really coming back? 
And I'm not going to ask you if you've ever had such a thought. But I bet in a crowd this large, even among believers, even among Christians, there are those of you out there who have wondered this very thing. Is Jesus really coming back? I mean, it's been 2,000 years. That's a long time. That is several centuries. That is two millennia. What is he waiting on? And it is true that often we live like we have all the time in the world, don't we? James thumps us for that, for thinking that way, for living that way. In James chapter 4, at verse 13, he says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Come now, you who keep all these events for a year down the road, for five years down the road, for ten years down the road, and you're planning book and your calendar, yet you don't know, James says, what tomorrow will bring. Tomorrow could bring the return of your Lord Jesus Christ. Tomorrow could bring your untimely death. Sorry to be morbid, but that is just the facts. None of us knows when our time will come. None of us knows when Jesus will return. James says, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. A mist, like a morning fog that melts away when the sun gets hot. That's your life. Instead, he says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You are in God's hands, your very life, your very breath. He is sustaining your existence here. Don't you know that? And yet you're making all these plans like you're just going to be here indefinitely, like you're going to be here forever, like the Lord's never coming back. Ever wonder if the Lord's ever coming back? Some of us, if we don't wonder that, we sort of live like He's never coming back. Like we've got just an unlimited amount of time. Well, Peter wants to help us deal with these voices of doubt. And he makes three points for us in our text that I believe can be very helpful for us when we face these doubts, these questions from without or within. First of all, he says that God has intervened plenty in history, and make no mistake, he will again. To those who say, God's not going to break in in a, in a dramatic, substantial way into the course of human history, Peter says, oh, how quickly you've forgotten all the ways that God has intervened already. And he provides just a few examples here, verses 5 through 7. He says, they, the, the mockers, the scoffers, the voices of doubt, they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, the word of God that created all things. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So by the word of God, all things were created. By the word of God, the earth was destroyed by a flood and verse 7 by the same powerful word of God, the heavens and earth that now exist, are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. It is that same powerful word that will bring the cosmos and this world to an end as we know it. That day is on its way sooner than we think. Just as God has intervened in the past to create 
the world to bring about its destruction with the flood, he will bring about its destruction again by fire. So God has intervened plenty in, uh, in history. And do not doubt that he will again. Number two, Peter wants to say this. This is the second point that he makes to help us deal with these doubts, with these mockers. He says, listen, time does not pass for God as it does for you. Chapter 3, verse 8, listen to what he says. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Peter speaks directly to that concern, that question that I just voiced, that many of you have asked yourselves or wondered in silence, why is Jesus taking so long? Why is God waiting so long? To send him back. It just seems like he would have already because 2,000 years is a long time. And Peter says, listen, time for you is not the same as time for God. And it's very difficult for us to wrap our small brains around this fact. Peter says, God exists. He lives outside the realms of time and space. And what might seem like forever to you is but the snap of a finger to him. It's but a moment. So don't think that time for God passes like it does for you. God is not constrained by time and space. He lives outside of those realms. And so to him, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. Now the third thing that Peter wants to say here is God's delay in sending Jesus back his delay in bringing about the day of the Lord is proof of his patience. Listen to what he says in verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. He's not being slow. He's being patient. And with every moment, with every day, with every year that passes, he is proving he is that much more patient towards you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance he is waiting for more people to confess faith in Jesus Christ he is waiting for more of us to share our faith in Jesus Christ with our neighbors so that we can help produce more disciples have you thought about that how you might could hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ by being more passionate about preaching and sharing the gospel? God is waiting because He is patient. And as Paul says similarly in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God, it is His deepest desire that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God doesn't want one single solitary soul lost for all eternity. He, he at least wants everybody to be given a chance to hear, a chance to believe, and to confess Christ, and to be baptized in His name. He's waiting because He's, his, he's patient, and His kindness in waiting is meant to lead you to repentance. If you are holding back, if you have not submitted to Him in baptism, or if you are a baptized believer and you have have gone off track, you've gone astray, and, and He desires you to be more devoted to Him. He, he, he's waiting on you. And He wants you, so He desperately wants you 
to come back into his fold, to come back into his family. He wants no one to be lost. However, we need to make clear that his patience will not hold out forever. He will not be indefinitely patient. He will not wait for all eternity, for everyone to do what they know they need to do. The Scriptures tell us that history will not carry on without end, that the end is near, that we are living in the last days, that Jesus is coming back soon. In chapter 3, verse 10, Peter says, but, yes, he's patient, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It will take you by surprise, and then the heavens will pass away with the roar. The heavenly bodies burned up, dissolved. The earth and the works that are on it will be exposed. The end is near. And in that old country song, Delta Dawn, the people were probably right. That suitor was never going to come back and pick up that lady. But in our case, the mockers and the voices of doubt couldn't be more wrong. Jesus is coming back. And therefore, we need to live like it. We need to live like the end is near. Do you feel like currently in your life of faith and devotion that you are living each day like the end is near? That Jesus could come back at any day? That He could return at any moment? Are you living with that sense of expectancy and anticipation? Are you watchful? Are you waiting? Are you at work doing what God has called you to do to hasten that coming day? Are you devoted to the task at hand? Are you living like the end is near? Peter says, he makes this point in his text here. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, since all of those material things that you put your faith in are coming to an end, how should you live? Well, it ought to change how we live, right? I mean, what Peter has laid out here about how the end is near and how when Jesus comes, history ends and eternity begins and everything that we know will be, will be done away with, will be changed. Shouldn't that affect how you live? Absolutely. Peter says, since you now know all this, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Peter keeps reiterating that the end is coming to light a fire under us, to remind us that our lives ought to be radically changed and, and altered and transformed because of this fact. This teaching is not just head knowledge for us. We, we don't just need to store it away about facts about the end of the world. This should totally transform how we live our lives. He says, embrace godliness and holiness. And listen, I'm afraid that I'm not always living like the return of Jesus is imminent. I don't. I don't live every day with that sense of urgency, with that laser-like focus on my, on my purpose. 
And I'm thankful for the people that God sends into my life or the conversations that I have where people remind me to live in this way. For instance, someone in this congregation, someone whose faith and devotion I greatly admire recently said to me, you know what? Soon we'll all be up in heaven together talking finally about our experience, our service down here. And I thought, you know what? He's right. Truly, soon and very soon. Either our lives will come to an end, or Jesus will return. And what happens after either of those events is what is most important to prepare for. Not anything that's happening here. Our lives are like a vapor, like a mist. They are so brief. And yet we invest so much of our time and our energy into things that will not last. We ought to think more about the brevity of our lives and how our lives can end just like that and how Jesus can return at any moment. Peter says that Those facts should totally change the way you live. I'm thankful for an elderly gentleman that I met in Hattiesburg, Mississippi over the summer when I went down there and spoke. An older man named Elmer Baker who came up to me after I had presented a Wednesday night lesson. He told me that he was a coal miner in eastern Kentucky, but he had relocated to Mississippi to live with some family. He was going to be 94 this year, and as we spoke, towards the end of our conversation, he said, you know... As I read in the scriptures, this eternal torment for unbelievers is going to be terrible. And with urgency in his voice, he said, we need to be telling everybody that we can about Jesus. And I thought, that he's got it. And he taught me in just a few words more than I taught the entire congregation in a 45-minute lesson. Because he gets it. And I'm afraid I don't always get it. You know, Peter reminds me too. Not just in his words here, but in his life. He reminds me that life is short. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he says in verse 12, he has talked about qualities to add to your faith. Let me share this very briefly. He says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. We're going to talk about these tonight, by the way, at 6 o'clock. I would invite you to come back to worship with us. We're going to talk about these qualities that we add to our faith. He says, I want to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. I know that the clock is ticking on my life. I know that the hourglass, the sand is dropping and it cannot return to the top. My life will be over soon and in the few days that I have left, As our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, I want to remind you of these most important things. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall my teaching. I'm not going to be with you forever. But I want to leave behind that which is most important, which is the teaching of the gospel. And I hope and I pray that after I'm gone, which is going to be very soon, that you'll remember what I taught you. Jesus had told Peter how he would die. Did you know that? In the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 18 and 19, he says, Truly I say to you, when you were young, speaking to Peter, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but 
When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And John says that this Jesus said to Peter to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Church tradition has it that Peter was crucified just as his Lord and Savior Jesus was. But on the day that they put him to death, he said, I am not worthy to face the kind of execution that my Lord did, so hang me upside down. And so they nailed him to a cross, head down. That's what Jesus is talking about here when they stretch out your hands and when they carry you to where you do not want to go. Peter knows that his days are numbered. That his life is short. And it seems that's partly what Jesus is saying here. He says, you know, when you're young, you dressed yourself, you went where you wanted to go, but when you're old, this is what will happen. It just seems to me, Jesus is saying, there isn't much time between when you're young and when you're old. And I can already attest to that from my own life. I'm going to be 35 this year, a young man by, you know, by many of, of your opinions. But, you know, at 35, it's been several years since I was in college, since I was a child, and yet it seems I was just a youngster, that I was just a college student. I don't feel that old. I know that I look it, and I know, I know that my hairline is receding, and I have more grays on either sides, but it just does not feel that long ago. That I was a kid, that I was just married, you know, that I didn't have any children, even though I cannot remember what it was like to not have children. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago. And I bet we have people here who are in their 80s and 90s, and you would say the same thing. It feels like just yesterday, the kids were at home, running around the house, just yesterday. It feels like just yesterday, we were just married. Just yesterday, I was a kid growing up. There is not much time that passes between when you're young and old, between your birth and your death. Life is short. Eternity is long. And I may not know how I'll die like Peter. I don't really want to know how I will reach the end of my life, but I know that I will. And I may not know when Jesus will return. None of us do, but I know that he will. And soon, and so I need to live each day like it's my last Martin Luther famously wrote, there are two days in my calendar. There's a lot of days in my calendar, by the way. A lot of events, a lot of happenings. Martin Luther said, there's two days in mine. There's this day and there's that day. There is today. I'm living in today. The past is the past. The future is uncertain. I know I've got today, at least the next few minutes of it. And I know that there will be that day when Jesus come, comes back. Capital D, that day. And that day could be tomorrow. And I'm not assured any days between this day and that day. Those are the only two cal days on my calendar I'm going to live like it. So I not only need to live each day like it's my last, I need to preach every sermon like it's my last one. I I'm, I'm kind of speaking to myself now. Every time I stand up here, I need to speak to you like it is the final time that I will speak to you. I don't do that. But I need to because I don't know what's going to happen in this next week. I might not be with you next week. 
I have no idea, or Jesus may return before them. And so let me say in closing, as I think about this possibly being my final sermon, life is short, and history is short too. To the Lord, a thousand days is as a year, a year is a thousand days. History is short, but eternity is long. And what is most important in your life is what you do now to prepare for where you'll be then. And if you want to be with God forever, you better start producing fruit in keeping with repentance. Verse 13 of chapter 3, but according to His promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. If you are not a baptized believer, then you don't have very much time left. And I thought about saying, you may not have much time left, but in the grand scheme of things, you just don't. And if you know that that is something that you need to do and you haven't done it, I I just don't know what else to tell you. Except please, I I ought to get down on my hands and knees on this stage to plead with you, to beg you, to do what will bring for you salvation and life and eternity in God's presence. Do that today. Or if your relationship with God is just not where it needs to be, then this is an opportunity for you also to come and to ask for prayers and to get back on the right track. Why don't you do that right now as we stand and sing?